I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as demons, ancient myths, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. How, two episodes into the new season, <laughs> have we already broken my New Year's resolution for podcasting and made a really long episode? Whoopsie daisies. I know, right? And we set records. <laughs> By records, we recorded the Jordan Peele episode for six hours and seven minutes. Yes. You guys ended up with what? Two hours and 40 minutes? Something like that. I deserve an Oscar for editing. (laughs) I'm just saying. But uh, we had a lot of side discussions, a lot of crazy conspiracies, some fact checking. Who was bringing up conspiracies and who needed to be fact checked? What is all this? I don't know, fluoride man. (laughs) All right, look, now that I'm on the mic, no, just kidding. But no, you said whoopsie daisies. We watched uh, Demonic Toys last night. Okay. And uh, I can say without a doubt what I said that I'd come across when we were doing uh, Krampus. Okay. That those damn toys are definitely based off the toys in fucking Demonic Toys. Okay, okay. I'm going to have to see it. Before we get into our discussion on demon films, we have a few corrections and updates from the last episode we got to cover. Yeah, so I kept going on and on about Black Flag, Black Flag, Black Flag, and us. You know, I said I was going to come back to it. I told you you wouldn't come back to everything. There's a lot of things that didn't come back to. <laughs> but uh, the whole idea is that the four-bar logo resembles 1111. That's it. It's just like wondering what's in the fucking briefcase in Pulp Fiction. I got nothing other than that. I am uh, fairly certain that Jordan Peele is just a Black Flag fan. That's what I'm going with. Hey, I may like yours better. An interesting fact is we were recording the Jordan Peele episode during the Super Bowl, and I didn't find out until I got to work the next day that one of the ads that aired was for a movie called Hunters that's executive produced by Jordan Peele. So that wasn't on my list. <laughs> and we'll now know where, what, $2.5 million of the budget went? Probably. <laughs> it's pretty neat looking, though. I, I guess it's like an alternate reality kind of u.s thing like the man in the high castle or something okay i'm guessing because they're like worried about nazis sneaking into the country and they're nazi hunters all right so why the fuck not i'm gonna check it out (laughs) hunters okay um the hunt blumhouse oh it has a new release date when friday the 13th march 13th Ooh. yep so i was really excited for that one and uh when it got canceled due to politics or some bullshit yeah hopefully it doesn't get run off again because i was excited to see it because that's not in my vein but after some of the home invasion and chase shit that i've I've watched because of this i was actually interested in it yeah it's a pretty neat idea and it's something that you see crossed in various tv shows throughout the years like i mean there's a black mirror that was kind of similar to that i'm pretty sure yeah. there's like a twilight zone or something i've seen in the past it's just a neat idea to revisit Speaking of revisiting, I don't know if you recall, but last year I did the 2019 Chainsaw Awards by Fangoria. Yeah, you talked about movies that I hadn't seen. Yeah, I'm about to do the same thing <laughs> because the 2020 one just came out. I think it always comes out Oscar time or whatever. So okay. it, was, it was in between our recording weeks. So it's this might be old news to some people, but I thought it'd be fun to cover. All right. It's a big list. I'm going to try to go through it quick so we can get on to the movie. I'm just going to say the winner to kind of get through this quickly. The best wide release film, Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. Okay, haven't seen it. <laughs> you said the same thing about Hereditary, I think, last year, which was also Ari Aster. Get used to that name. All right. Best limited release, The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers. Best streaming premiere, The Perfection, directed by Richard Shepard. 
I want to say that's the movie with Allison Williams in it that was in Get Out, but I could be wrong. I'll double check. Yeah, I'd say something, but I, you're just going to hear me say I haven't seen it or I haven't heard <laughs> of it. <laughs> Best foreign film, Tigers Are Not Afraid, directed by Issa Lopez. Best first feature, Girl on the Third Floor, directed by Travis Stevens. Best director, Ari Aster for Midsummer. This is a lot like last year. Best actor, Robert Pattinson for The Lighthouse. Best actress, Lupita Nyong'o for Us, hey. which, hey, we saw that one coming. Um, I do want to say Florence Pugh was awesome in Midsummer, Okay. And I think she just got nominated for an Oscar for Little Women, but she was nominated for this. And fucking Samara Weaving for Ready or Not. Oh, sweet. I like that one. <laughs> Those are like some stickout ones. I do want to say like best actor. We had Ewan McGregor and Winston Duke on there. Like it's, it's a hard list, man. Uh, best supporting actor, Willem Dafoe for the lighthouse. Best supporting actress, Rebecca Ferguson for Dr. Sleep. She was fucking awesome in that movie as Rose the hat. Yep. Best screenplay midsummer written by Ari Aster. <laughs> best score midsummer by the hacks and cloak. Best makeup effects. The dead don't die with Mike Marino. Oh, shit. I want to see that movie. Okay, I can't say that about the, that wasn't about the effects. I'm just saying, like, the wife has a lower threshold than I do, uh-huh. or higher threshold. She'll put up with some stuff okay. more than I will, and she watched it without me. I think I was recording something. Anyways, and she's like, no, don't, <laughs> just don't. That's the movie with uh, Zombie Iggy Pop, right? I believe so. And like, like, everybody's in that movie. Uh, Bill Murray and Adam Driver. I'm going to see it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Best creature effects, scary stories to tell in the dark, spectral motion. Best series, Stranger Things. I'm actually sad it beat Creep Show. I like that Creep Show got brought back. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to see Shudder get a little attention on that, but yeah. at least it was nominated. And there's a write in category Best Kill, Christian and the Bear Suit on Fire in Midsummer. It's really lame. I, I don't <laughs> know why you would even do that. Okay. I almost left that off, but you know, I had to be like complete here. But that was the the Chainsaw Awards. We had Ari Aster sweeping it again. All right. All right. I've rambled enough now. So let's get to the meat of the episode with uh, Demons. All right. I do want to say the Halloween interview episode. I said that demon movies fuck me up. That's what gets me, right? Yeah. Generally, more specifically, like the religious possession type demon film is what really gets me. But I have a deep rooted childhood memory of the gate which is a movie that is high on my watch list i've seen it so many times watched it what i thought was inappropriately as a child apparently it's a fucking kids movie was designed that way and most of my real life fears growing up from horror films and the ones that fuck with me still to this day when the wife and kids are out of town all stem from this movie i'm talking about pictures in stairwells like family photos fuck me up I'm talking about if I've seen something particularly scary and I got to get in bed, I jump from six feet away because I don't want an arm to get me. Like this movie I saw early, stuck with me early, sticks with me to this day. And I am glad to finally get to cover 1987's The Gate. And since you keep going back to the 80s, I get to keep coming back to this, which is no bullshit. I saw this way too young because it was on the Jesus tapes and it did not get recorded over. And those little dudes terrified the shit out of me when I was a kid. Oh, the minions. <laughs> yeah. Like now that I know how they did the special effects, like I can't wait to get to that. <laughs> I do want to say the movie was directed by, I'm going to butcher this name. We do that all the time. Tiber Takax. I'm sorry if I butchered your name, but he's done minor TV shows. And I just mean like they weren't, 
particularly famous TV shows. Okay. With the exception of Sabrina, the teenage witch, the old one. Okay. With Clarissa. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that you said with Clarissa. <laughs> Not the new one. Um, it was written by Michael Nankin. Who's done a shit ton of shows, like big shows. And I'm talking about not four episodes, like wrote out like the whole seasons. Okay. But three more popular, more recent ones were Battlestar Galactica, Caprica, which is the spinoff of Battlestar. Okay. And Defiance, which was unique. It wasn't, that one didn't really stick with me as much, but it was pretty good. So he went on to do a lot of things and he actually almost directed this film. Huh. I couldn't find out why he didn't. I just found lots of things saying that he was originally going to direct it. So somehow that didn't happen. There's a lot of people in this movie. There's only a, a, a handful of the cast members that are like the primary cast. So I'll cover them. We've got Steven Dorff, which I mean, he's been in so much shit, but he was in Blade. He's a fucking blood God, right? Yeah. And recently True Detective. But this was actually his first film as a child. He looked like a little full grown man, <laughs> but he was awesome. This movie, you could see why his career, you know, launched from this. Yeah. Krista Denton was not in much else. She plays the sister, Al. Lewis Tripp also was not in much else, but he was in The Gate too, which I'm really sad. They're like, <laughs> we're not covering these together. But I got an idea. Okay. What if one of our categories one time is like The Leftovers I'm or something? totally down with that. And we just do like the sequels that were forgotten. The special effects, there's a lot of people involved, but I just wanted to cover the main two guys because they actually just did a documentary a couple of years ago called From Hell about doing the special effects in this movie because they're actually quite impressive for the okay. time and the budget. Randall William Cook was the, the head of the special effects and he was also the second unit director. Okay. Which means he directed like all the side scenes. Yeah. It was all of the special effects monster scenes. So basically, he's the director of the movie to me. You know what I mean? Because that's the parts that stick out with you. He directed oh, yeah. like all the scenes with the demons and the minions and all that. Okay. He uh, is the animation supervisor and the head designer for Wedded Digital. No shit. And he was in charge of the special effects for all three Lord of the Rings movies. Holy fuck. And he did most of the Puppet Master movies. What? Fright Night, Ghostbusters, and John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> I love it when we run across stuff like this. We like this guy. <laughs> so he did a fantastic job in this movie and, and explains like why it's like so advanced for the time it came out in the low budget when you see what he did before, during and after. Right. Yeah. And then Craig Reardon, um, he was the, the makeup special effects guy. Cause there's a lot of makeup work in this movie. Yeah. The worker, for example, he did a lot of shit, like a metric shit ton of movies, makeup, special effect, check them out on IMDb. I just want to prompt out that he's the guy that designed Sloth in the Goonies. <laughs> but anyways, let's dive into this movie. A couple little factoids that I put. It's a kid's horror film. They said it was fun making a kid's movie in the documentary. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't, I'm not buying that this was for kids. Not uh, as the kid I was when I saw it. <laughs> Honestly, though, when, when I was watching it now as an adult, because I've watched this movie a shit time. I probably haven't seen it in 10 years. Yeah. Five to 10 anyways. And... I can see that kid aspect, like thinking of like um, Goonies, Goonies, Gremlins, stuff like that. But man, it's the special effects and stuff. They just get you like the dad's face melting in the slump. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> like I said, Stephen Dorff's first film, The Minions, I always assumed was like claymation stop motion. They are full grown men in full rubber suits made, and they used forced perspective throughout the entire film. Okay. Blew my fucking mind when I found that out. <laughs> so, like, you'll see him run around somebody's leg and shit. It's just insane. 
but to dive in the movie, we have, once again, I hate to keep saying this, like a Spielberg neighborhood opening with the camera panning through the trees. I think I'm just going to start calling it the 80s opening. There you go. Because I think all 80s movies did this. All 80 movies past uh, Poltergeist and E.T. <laughs> Spielberg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll flip a coin on it. We open up to our main character, Glenn, played by Steven Dorff, dropping off his bicycle and running into what's apparently an empty house, and he's yelling for his parents and his sister. He hears a sound downstairs because the basement set up as like a hangout living room area, right? And he goes down there and the TV pops on. It's playing some 80s pop shit. I didn't recognize it from anything, but. <laughs> they went on to win seven grand. No, I have no idea what it was. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> but it's randomly nighttime all of a sudden. And there's a thunderstorm going off and you can see the lightning and hear the thunder. And randomly, there's a partially eaten meal on the dinner table. And the door blows open to reveal a tree house in the backyard. And you can hear like a, a baby dog going, mama, mama. Glenn climbs up the fucking tree because he's not terrified for some reason. And he finds the doll right as the treehouse is struck by lightning and falls over. And he wakes up from his nightmare to the sound of chainsaws as he's being dismembered. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not what happens. It's a crew cutting up the tree in the backyard that had the treehouse in it. So apparently maybe it really did get struck by lightning. I don't know. But the, the tree of the treehouse getting cut up in his backyard. Yeah, he was having some kind of separation anxiety already in his dream. <laughs> Glenn gets dressed he heads outside in the backyard to where the workers are and he looks at this large fucking hole in his yard and he finds a geode I think it like fell off the truck or something right two episodes in a row geodes <laughs> I got a big kick out of you saying it last time because I knew what I was covering next you know? I don't even know if I, did I tell you I was doing the gate yet? I don't fucking remember I was like ooh anyways uh, we got to him talking to his friend Terry he's letting him know that a big geode could be worth up to $100 they should dig up some more are geodes worth money? Is this really a thing? Yeah. If you're not, a, you don't travel to the same places. I, so as a kid, we'd go to like middle of nowhere, Missouri and stuff like that on vacations. So there'd be like little mom and pop flea markets and shit where it'd be like the comics table, the geodes table. Oh. So on the colorful rocks table and so on and so forth. Yes. Highly lucrative in low income areas. <laughs> I do remember you having some geode type rocks mm -hmm. like at your old house. Cause it always made me think of this fucking movie and freak me out. <laughs> Anyways, they're trying to dig up some more geodes and Terry pushes in the shovel and he sinks in a bit and smoke or steam. I don't know what I'm going to call it for the rest of the movie starts to pour from the earth and they say it smells like death. Terry finds a large geode at this point and Glenn cuts himself on like a stick or something or a splinter drips some blood in the hole and we hear little critters making noises. Glenn's sister Al comes out. She apparently doesn't want to be called Al anymore. She's Alexandria now. That's just because she's getting older. Wants to hang out with the cool kids at school, right? We see her dumping toys into a trash can, including the doll from the treehouse and some toy rockets. Glenn's mad at her, though, because she was supposed to, like, give them the rockets or something, or they were going to shoot them together. And he wants to know what happened to the Thunderbolt, which somewhere in the dream sequence, he goes into her room or something, and there's a giant rocket. He's like, oh, the Thunderbolt. Okay. Yeah. And like Ari Aster, you should get used to hearing this word for the rest of the movie. Foreshadowing. She says to forget about the Thunderbolt and that she's heading out with her friends, the Lee sisters, which I didn't even write them down. The, the boys have like so many insults about these girls. Yeah. They hate them. And the girls have just as many. But as she's leaving with their friends, Terry wants to know what the big deal is. And why doesn't Glenn just shoot the fucking rocket himself? Right. And Glenn points up to a charred part of the roof from the house. 
And he says he's not allowed to shoot rockets unsupervised anymore ever since the accident. Hey, I'll supervise. Since Glenn has a supervisor now, he's prepping the rockets and we see Terry capturing a bunch of moths. Because there's like a billion of them flying out of the hole and nobody thinks this is weird. Canker man. Nice reference. The dad comes home and he finds the large hole in the yard and he's fucking pissed. <laughs> and he's questioning if he should leave Glenn with Al for three days as the only sitter because she apparently can't control him. And they're going to be out of town for a few days conveniently like most 80s horror movies. Yeah. That's, that's the status quo. He just doesn't know if Al can handle Glenn and Terry together because Terry is apparently always around. And she says that she can and they don't need the babysitter. And Glenn gets grounded for the weekend. And has to fill the hole in. Yep. Even though I blame the workers. <laughs> well, they dug the hole back up themselves. Yeah, but we really don't see what happens in between. I think the father, if I would have was that child, I would have said, Dad, talk to the workers, man. I didn't do it. We just found the hole. We're geode. Geode city over here. All right. What's this vacation that they're going on? Did they need some us time? Is that why they're, fuck you kids. We're going to go fuck. What if they won like a cruise? On a radio show. What if they're quarantined on that ship for 24 days? Oh. Yeah, I went there. Anyways. (laughs) So Glenn goes to bed after filling in the hole and tells his dad that the hole freaks him out. He doesn't fucking like it. And tells him a story that Terry told him about a construction worker dying while building their house. And the company covered it up by sealing him in the walls. And his dad lets him know that Terry's been a little off ever since his mother died last year. And Glenn just watches the moths in the jar suffocate. I want to point out when Terry caught the moths and put them in the jar, he like screwed the lid on. And he said, what did he say? Like, how long do you think they'll live with no air? Yeah. And Glenn's like, that's cruel. Don't do that to him. He's keeping the moths in the jar in his bedroom with no air. Yep. Why didn't he just let him go? If Terry jumped off a bridge, I suppose you'd jump off too. Sure. Why not? So we cut to the next day and we see Al and Glenn's parents leaving. They're saying goodbye. They say to be careful and say no parties. Cut to the incident 80s party. The house is fucking packed and everybody's feeding Angus random shit and giving them beer because that's what people do to dogs at parties. It's kind of fucked up. Yeah. That's why you put your dog up, right? Like for the Halloween party. Absolutely. But we see the Lee sisters are, of course, there and they're trying to hook Al up with a guy named Eric. Douchebag O'Neill of the film. Glenn and Terry are basically quarantined up into Glenn's room and they're trying to chisel the geode open because is it worth more money if you break it open, rock expert? I don't know. We got to see what's inside. Oh, okay, okay. They can't break the fucking thing. And they suggest that maybe the Lee sisters would be able to help. Why don't we get the Lee sisters to look at it? Yeah. <laughs> Terry says they could drop it off the roof tomorrow, but he's given up for the night and he wants to go to the party. And Glenn says Al won't let them down and he gets pissed and smacks the geode with the hammer and it just cracks in half. And the smoke, steam, shit, the soul, I don't fucking know, comes pouring out of the rock and it leaves marks on the, I don't remember what they're called, but the little drawing pad thing. And you would have like the little plastic magnet pen. Oh, and you could just peel the sheet off. Yeah. Of it after, yeah. 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 Well, those things. They were really popular when we were kids. That was one of the toys Al threw in the garbage can earlier. And it's on the desk next to the geode and it gets, they look like fucking runes to me up here on it. Yes. Glenn can read it somehow but glenn picks it up and he should have drawn the line at the latin (laughs) and he reads the words out loud and we cut to the backyard and we just see fucking smoke just bellowing out of the hole the kids not knowing any of this just throw the art pad down and decide to go sneak to the party and get some food and we see all the teenagers hanging out telling scary stories one of the girls says that she believes in the supernatural 
and she wants to demonstrate it with them playing light as a feather, stiff as a board. I don't know if they call it that. That's what we call it. That's what it was, yeah. And uh, Glenn asks Terry if he believes in this stuff, and he says it like kind of like, because I think it's dumb, right? And Terry's like, of course, and shakes his head, and then Glenn's like, yeah, me too. You know, because <laughs> he'll do anything, Terry says. Bad influence. They can't lift the teenager, and they're thinking it's because he's too heavy, because that's how the supernatural works. Totally. And um, <laughs> they're like, hey, you kid, come over here, you're light. And they put Glenn in the chair, and not only do they levitate him off the ground, but then he starts floating out of the chair to the ceiling and floating away from them like some Harry Potter shit. And uh, he's freaking out and he grabs a light fixture and yanks it out of the ceiling and he falls to the ground crying and he's like super embarrassed in front of the kids and just runs off to his room. Terry and Al go up to try to comfort him and he just wants his parents. He wants to call mom and dad and Al calms him down by saying Terry can spend the night, which I thought was already happening. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Quite frankly. But they also tell some embarrassing stories about themselves, like, you know, the time they shit their pants or something. Makes them feel better, right? Wait, what? (laughs) But next, we cut to the kids sleeping, and Terry gets up to go to the can, and Glenn gets freaked out by the army of moths dying to the zapper outside, right? The bug zapper, right? Yeah. It's like, zzz, zzz, constantly. It's like Ghostbusters or something. And we see a, a POV of a small creature roaming around the house, and then we cut to Terry in the hall as he sees and hears his deceased mother as she walks into the house through the front door. It's pretty fucked up. But Terry runs down to hug his mother, and then we cut to Glenn in his room, watching something move through the walls, very reminiscent of Nightmare on Elm Street. Eh? When Freddy's like over, yep. the, over the bed with the crucifix. Back downstairs, we see that Terry's actually dancing with a dead Angus, who we just saw upstairs moments ago when Terry went to the bathroom. He was okay then. <laughs> and then he screams really loud because he figures out what's going on, and it brings Alan Glenn downstairs. We cut to the next day. And there is a lot of jumping at this part between Glenn and Terry's house. I'll do my best. Stick with me. (laughs) Glenn is obviously bummed out about Angus and he wants to call his mom and dad and let them know what happened. He wants them to come home because he's supposed to be, I don't know how old, but he he seems pretty young in the movie, right? Yeah. And Al says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. We're not calling mom and dad. And then the Lee sisters and Eric show up and they basically just throw a bunch of jabs at each other. Buzz off, clown face. Don't you have to go upstairs and change your pampers or something? (laughs) Don't you have to go and join the circus? We cut to Terry at his house, and his house is just like fucking, I mean, there's trash everywhere. There's old food and dishes everywhere, and a note from his dad saying he's out of town on business. So obviously, shit is not stable for Terry at home since his mother passed away. And he goes out to rock out in his fucking total metal room. Because what's he, he's got his jacket with the killer dwarves, which is funny because I used to listen to the dwarves a lot. It's so always thinking yeah. of that. And uh, I mean, he's listening to some obviously satanic panic shit <laughs> in his room. And he has an epiphany after listening to a chant about the old gods. Everything just clicks to him. He sees photos in his album from the band Sacrifix. But in the album, like the leaflet or whatever, right? You see people levitating. Like, apparently that's specific, that's very specifically part of this ritual for some reason. Yeah. We see demons, and we see writing very similar to what the geode made on the pad. He then realizes that the song is playing something backwards, but we don't get to hear what it is yet. Al and the Lees go to the mall, and Eric says he'll take Angus's body to the animal shelter, right? So he's, he's trying to get in good with Al, right? So he's going to be the hero here, and not a douchebag O'Neill, right? Yeah. 
And Glenn finds his old rocket starter kit under his bed and like a little homemade like birthday card. It was from Al for him, right? Yeah. And he chunks it because he's pissed because she left him. He then hears the moths outside on the bug zapper again and goes out to find that the hole is sunk into the ground again and there's smoke pouring out. And he gets a little mini jump scare as Terry pops up and he wants to tell him something heavy. You got demons. The boys then cover up the hole with part of the old tree house that happens to have like the, the door of the tree house, yeah. right? <laughs> Which is going to be conveniently used later since it's dead center over the hole, right? Yep. But Terry shows Glenn the album from Sacrifix. That is a cool fucking band <laughs> name. It's a very metal band name. <laughs> and uh, it shows that the lyrics came from the demonic Bible, basically, right? And the whole band died in an airplane crash immediately after recording the album. He says that there's a ritual in there to summon the demons and that they did it by accident. <laughs> they recited the words, found the geode, offered blood, and performed levitation. The only thing missing is a sacrifice, and it does not have to be a person, he says. But the sacrifice would have to be put into the hole to complete the ritual, and they're thinking Angus because he died, right? And like, well, at least he's not in the hole. <laughs> Just, we're going to come back to this, though. <laughs> and unlike Josh, I will actually do it. Oh, oh fuck you. <laughs> Terry shows Glenn that the backwards lyrics are a ritual to banish the demons, and you have to perform it before the ritual is completed. During all this, we see that Eric goes to the animal control place and that it's closed. No vacancies. He then takes the body back to the house and he sees the covered hole in the backyard. We then see Eric driving off with dirt all over his fingers. Apparently, he's been digging in their yard. Why'd he dig? All he had to do was open the little door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to Glenn and Terry going uh, outside to perform the banishing ritual as Eric's driving off. Yeah. And they're surprised by Al, who shows up and wants to know what they're doing. We accidentally summoned demons who used to rule the universe to come and take over the world. Why could he not say they were, like, playing tag or something, right? Like, <laughs> why did they have to go with accidentally summon demons, right? <laughs> they look under the door, because they, I mean, they did some bullshit version of the ritual during all this. Yeah. And the hole's filled. Success. That, well, that, that explains your, why is his hands dirty? Because ah. he must have moved the treehouse, put Angus in there, and then covered him back up with dirt, right? Because he didn't want to just leave the fucking dog rotten. Jesus Christ, Josh, what's wrong with you? Hey, I live in the country, all right? Do you still leave rotting flesh out in the yard? No, you got to take him at least 100 yards away from the house before you shoot him. <laughs> but they think the ritual they did sealed the hole. They have no clue about Eric, right? They didn't see any of that. Yeah. But we find out that Al's not going to the beach with the Lee sisters and Eric because she spent all of her money at the mall to get a rocket to play with Glenn, to cheer him up and make amends. Aw. And why do you need money to go to the beach? I know when I went to Daytona, you needed money to go to the bathroom at the beach. But that was... <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, it was like these little bathrooms that like it's you put a quarter in to unlock the door to keep vagrants out and shit. But uh, uh, that's all I got. <laughs> Maybe she needed a bathing suit at the mall. Hey. Spend her money on the rocket. That's a good sis we got there. But it's really funny because you see Al and Glenn fucking with the rocket while Terry's in the background reading from the dark book. And they're basically ignoring him while he's just fucking rambling on and on. But if you listen to him, he says that the old gods need two human sacrifices for the demon lord to come back to the earth. He also says that once the demon lord is here, it can only be destroyed by a true spirit of gentle passion wielding energy drawn from pure love and light. 
Love and light, y'all. 11-11. <laughs> I don't even know what to think of that right now. But anyways, after Terry finishes his spiel, Al and Glenn go straight to launching the rocket. And then the Lee sisters show up for a slumber party. Where the drill killer comes. Oh, yeah. There is no drill killer. Oh, no. I would have preferred the rockabilly version, though. It would have fit in great. <laughs> so while the slumber party is going on, Glenn and Terry start digging through Glenn's. I guess it's Glenn's parents' closet, hallway closet. I don't know. The positioning's kind of awkward. But they find a shotgun. <laughs> okay, I know which closet you're talking about. And the Thunderbolt. So there's Ari Aster popping back up again. Right next to his mom's Ultra Vibe Pleasure 2000. We have different cuts of the film, obviously. <laughs> but that night, we see that Glenn is now going through the dark book, and he learns about the minions and the demon lord as Terry sleeps in, a, I guess, like another bed next to him or a pallet or something. I don't fucking remember. And he freaks himself the fuck out and decides to go to sleep because that's what you do after you're terrified. And we see that there's a minion loose in the house. And I don't mean the cute little yellow guys <laughs> from Despicable Me. Banana. These are the things of nightmares. But Glenn's awakened by the blinds opening and the fucking zapper popping like crazy. And he closes the blinds only to have them pop back open again. And the window's completely fucking covered in moths. They break through the glass and they swarm them. And these special effects are not very special. It's the worst special effects in the movie. Mm, I'll hold my tongue for now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously they like shot the moths, blew them up and then stuck them over it. Right. But it just. It looked like, yeah, I just explained it, it. It's like terrible compositing. But he runs out into the hallway and he grabs Al because she can hear him screaming, right? And they go into the bedroom and there's broken glass everywhere. And they go to wake Terry up in the bed, but he won't budge. And he's like laying under the covers with them over his head. And then Terry walks in the room behind him. Dun, dun, dun. And then Al thinks she's being pranked by the boys and pulls the blanket back to find the smoking corpse of Angus. And he looks like a stuffed animal with the tongue hanging out and everything. <laughs> so maybe, maybe those are the worst special effects. Yeah, I was to say, that shot is pretty bad. But they try to run out of the room, and the thing of nightmares happens. My nightmares. A giant hand comes out from under the bed and gets Al's leg and tries to yank her under the bed with him. They manage to get her loose, and they run down the stairs with the now-awake Lee sisters. I don't know. This is one of the scenes that just always stuck with me for my whole life. Like... When I saw Hereditary last year and I was home by myself for like two weeks, I would jump to get on the bed because I didn't want the demon arm. Like, come come here, let me get you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It was pretty fucked up as a kid to see that scene. Creepier than Michael Myers was to me at that age. Anyways, they open the front door to run out and we see that Glenn and Al's parents are now home. Glenn runs out to his father, but something seems off. You've been back. But Glenn begins to struggle with the us version of his father and his face starts to pull off just like poltergeist and it turns into slime and it's really fucking creepy and that was another scene that bothered me as a kid and then the head just falls off and fucking explodes on the ground kids movie you said right exactly <laughs> they all run inside and the power goes out and the doors all slam in the house al decides to be the tough one and go back outside to investigate and she's surrounded by minions and doesn't notice they're there because they're like i don't know eight inches tall maybe right Everybody else has seen it. I think one's looking through the window, but the other kids see Al surrounded and she managed to make it back inside and slam the door and uh, they catch one of the minions arms in the door. I'm pretty sure this part's stop motion claymation. Yes. But the arm like wiggles and I think it falls and turns into worms or yes. something. It goes under the door. Fucking badass looking. That is the part that even 20 years later before rewatching this movie for the podcast, I could always remember when I think of the gate, I think of the little dudes in that particular scene. Oh, that, really? Yep. And then I'm scared. So my house, 
we have like pictures, like family pictures all the way up the stairwell. And if, if I'm going upstairs in the dark at night, I always think about an upcoming scene in this movie. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know. That sticks with me more than the arm coming out to get you from under the bed. Okay. But uh, the phone rings while they're inside and Al goes to answer it and it's Freddie and he's like, I'm your boyfriend now. Wait, what? <laughs> Wrong movie. I don't know. I just, I see the red phone ringing and she answers that. That's what I'm expecting to hear. But really it's the dad voice saying that you've been bad, but the phone catches on fire and starts to melt. I think you're right about Freddie and the phone. It's very similar, right? Totally. Terry says that they uh, they have to do the spell right away to close the gate, though, right? Because this is he's an expert now. Subject matter. The fucking dude in Pollen Stars could call him in for his occult <laughs> shit. But uh, there's a wooden problem. Okay. The book's downstairs. Oh. I mean, if you have a satanic Bible, you should just carry it with you to the shitter and everything, right? Yeah, they did not have iPhones to put it on back then. Ooh. They run downstairs to get it, and this is the part of the time Glenn notices that all the pictures on the wall down the stairwell is of the family, but they're like decapitated and dead and bleeding and what? all that. Have you never noticed that? Okay. So I, every time you've brought this up going through this, like we're going to get to this part and it's what creeps me out. And I'm just like, I have no idea what he's talking about, but I'm just going to nod. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back and watch it. Cause I did not notice that. Yeah. So it's normal family portraits, but the family's dead in every photo. Holy shit. And I don't know. It's really creepy and it's always bothered me. And I've never been able to look at family portraits and not think of that scene warped you are yes i mean honestly it, it gets me more than the the demon arm oh i can understand because you see family portraits almost every day right yeah now that we've uh had deep thoughts with jesse let's hop right back into the movie but they managed to grab the dark book and it burst into flames they're fucked now they decide they could just get a bible and recite verses from that i think it's the lee sisters came up with that idea just read anything <laughs> they go out back to the gate and the Lee sisters sissy out because they hear that there needs to be two human sacrifices. They're like, we'll go inside and wait. <laughs> really, that would be a bad idea. That's when they get you, right? Because you're the two sacrifices now separate. Yep. Stay in a group. I don't know. Everybody always separates these fucking things. Don't do what the smoke tells you to. <laughs> <laughs> but Al Glenn and Terry approach a very loud and active gate at this point. Like the door is like kind of like clicking and slamming like something trying to burst through. There's flashing. 80s lights. It's a fucking Cobra rave party. Cobra? Like G.I. Joe? <laughs> I want you to promise me <laughs> that when I leave tonight, you'll go to YouTube and type Cobra rave party. But Terry starts to recite Bible verses and the gate appears to, to seal. And Terry starts to step closer to the hole and they tell him to step back. And then he fucking falls into it. And he slides down it like a water slide from hell. <laughs> basically, right? It's like Serpent the Rainbow. Oh, I didn't even think of that. But he's surrounded by the minions, and some of them managed to bite him, which I thought was going to come back. Oh, shit. Wrong minions. <laughs> wrong minions again. Back. <laughs> this isn't a universal picture. He, uh, <laughs> But he manages to stomp some of them into the ground and kill them. But he, manages, but he manages to stomp on some of them and actually fucking kill them, or at least maim them, and climb out of the hole with the Ada Al. Glenn keeps reading the Bible verses and Terry wants him to stop so he can get out of the fucking hole because he's <laughs> pissing the hole off. But Terry manages to get out, grab the Bible, and he starts to read Genesis because like that's the part. It's like, just read anything. So he goes to the okay. beginning. And then he just says, fuck it. And he chunks the Bible in the hole. And there's a fucking explosion. It knocks them all unconscious. And when they wake up, the hole's completely covered over again. The end. They celebrate because they close the gate. And then they run into the house. The power's back on in the house, and they find the Lee sisters hiding with garlic around them, and they're, like, making crosses out of fucking silverware or something. 
and they see that the front door is open. Al, being the brave one again, goes to check it out, and Eric and some other assholes jump out of the closet and scare them. And the sisters say they invited the guys over, but Al says, fuck you, and kicks them all out. Al helps them clean up all the glass in the bedroom, and they're like, what are we going to tell our parents happened to this fucking window? Frisbee. So bad. But this is the part of the movie where the shit hits the fan. The third act, as I always call it. I say I, but that's really like the actual pro term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it, though. But the boys go downstairs to watch a movie while Al's taking a shower upstairs, and they're messing with the fucking geode. And while they're messing with it, the drywall busts open, and a corpse falls halfway out, right? So it's the construction worker. Terry's like, what the fuck? I made this up. (laughs) And uh, the zombie comes to life, grabs Terry, and retreats into the wall, and the wall closes and seals itself. We now have a human sacrifice. Off-camera kills, man. Yeah. It's a kid's movie. Glenn goes to find Al and sees that Toby has been finger painting in blood on the walls of the staircase. It looks just like paranormal activity. It's the same shit all the way up the walls. <laughs> okay, I was fixing to say, who the fuck is Toby? <laughs> I get it now. But Al's getting dressed and she's looking at herself in the mirror, but she sees the workman in the mirror slightly, like composited in, right? And then he vanishes. And then Glenn busts in the room and the workman busts out of the mirror behind her. And they pop him in the fucking head of the boombox, and he starts to sway, and he falls over, hits the floor, and bursts into a bunch of minions. Awesome shot. But they, they run out into the hallway, and Al's holding the door shut. I thought it was really cool. I think the effects still hold up to this day. And I watched the documentary on the special effects. Did you see any of that? No, I'm going to have to watch that. So they had a stage, okay? And then they built a set for the scene. Well, the, the bedroom, it's just the walls. And then just enough of the floor for the kids to barely stand on it with a giant fucking hole to their death in the middle of the room and the bed off to the side. And they, they chained the kids to the wall so they couldn't fall and die. Okay. And they made a dummy that looked exactly like the actor that was the zombie and they let it go and let it fall. And it just fell through the hole and just kept falling. Right. They have a stage. The wood looks like the wood in the floor in the bedroom. The director drew the outline of what the guy looked like as he fell through the hole. And made them all stand crouched in the shape like at a football game when the marching band or whatever makes a shape. Yeah. And then he recorded them standing up on the floor and then just scampering. And then he just composited the two so that you had the stage floor instead of the hole that was in the actual bedroom. So it looked like he fell and turned into minions, but he actually fell into nothing and the minions stood up on a different floor. Okay. Looked fucking awesome. Really neat use of like practical effects there. Yeah. We can still call compositing practical effects, right? Because you have to actually shoot it. All all optical. Anything in camera, all optical, I still consider practical. But uh, as cool as that was, we got to get on with this. (laughs) But uh, Glenn tells Al about Terry and realizes that he was the first human sacrifice. And she's like, shit, (laughs) go to the closet and get dad's gun. And she's trying to be tough and hold the door like she has been the whole movie. And Glenn is attacked by a demonic looking Terry that burst out of a garment bag. The garment bags are going to haunt me Jesus all Christ. fucking season. And uh, Al comes in. I guess she let go of the door and stabs the demonic Terry in the eye with a Barbie doll, making him retreat. And it's really cool because he like dives back into like the abyss into yeah. the garment bag and like reseals. Neat shot. They close the closet and load the shotgun as the minions surround like the, they just fucking stairwell, living room, hallway, outside the closet, everywhere. And the fucking workman just burst out of the clothes behind him in the closet. And honestly, anytime when I was a kid, afraid of closets, 
That was it. The workman coming out from behind the clothes, man. This movie explains a lot about me today. Um, <laughs> but Al manages to blast the workman with a shotgun, and then he swats the, the gun away from her, grabs Al, throws her over the shoulder, walks back into the clothes, and he's gone. Second human sacrifice has now been performed. Glenn finds the birthday card from Al that came with his thunderbolts that he saw earlier and was like pissy about. And he remembers that love and light could make energy to destroy the demon Lord and seal the gate. Cause the card's like, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But at this point we see the floor burst open on the bottom floor of the house and Glenn runs back into the closet to grab the thunderbolt. We see that the hole in the floor goes all the way down, like <laughs> all the way. Right. And minions start to swarm out of the hole. And then the demon Lord comes out of the ground. He was a fully sculpted, detailed stop motion puppet. And he looks similar to the worm dudes from Men in Black. Put some little stubby arms on him, paint him green. Wanga. I can see the similarities, but I mean, he's like. He's different, but he did. He went to the gym, he right? Did, like he's bigger. Yes, yes, but he did remind me there's, there's similarities there. <laughs> but uh, Glenn tries to run past him, right? And the demon lord like swats him and grabs him, picks him up by his hand and like pets his head. And then lets him go for some reason and dives back in the hole. Kids movie is the only explanation I have for <laughs> I got that. nothing. But Glenn looks at the hand that the demon lord had grabbed. And there's an eyeball in the center of his palm, which is fucked up. And it's a man's hand. Very clearly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the special effects guy was like, if I, if I go back and fix one thing, <laughs> it's my full grown hand in that shot or whoever's <laughs> hand it was. He goes back into his bedroom only to see like the black smoke. Like cause the smoke earlier was like, it could have been steam, right? This is like black. Sam and Dean. Exactly. I, I was thinking of Supernatural <laughs> when they like do an exorcism. It's just pouring out of the gate, going up and like darkening the skies and blotting out the sun. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like how they did it. Uh, Glenn lays on the floor crying, much like when he fell from the ceiling during the levitation sequence. I'd be crying too. And he yells to the demon to come back and take him instead. Let them go. Just take him instead. He then takes a shard of glass and fucking stabs the eyeball in the fucking palm of his hand. <laughs> And then he tries to hide under the bed. I would not have gone under there to the demon arm, but he manages to find the electric uh, launcher for the rocket. Cause I, I want to say he tried to light the thunderbolt earlier. Right. But he couldn't cause the matches wouldn't work because of the wind. I, I think yeah. or, or am I mixing up scenes? No. Well, it, it's in there somewhere. Cause this is a battery operated starter. Yeah. I've always wanted to shoot a toy rocket and I don't know how much of it comes back to this movie, but I never did it. They're expensive and I grew up poor. I had one that I got for Christmas or birthday one year, and it was like years before my dad would let me shoot it. Then when we went to go shoot it, the and the engine wouldn't ignite, and and I was told, "Well, we're not buying you another one." I End actually, of story. <laughs> I actually remember that thing sitting in your room for like three years. The black and yellow one. Yeah, and I'd always bring up this movie, and we never got to shoot the fucking rocket because I was always <laughs> at your house, and we never got to fucking shoot the rocket. I didn't know that you finally went in the gunpowder. It was like a dud. But anyways, he runs out into the hallway to get the rocket. And he can hear Al yelling from down in the hole to like save her, get away. I don't know. She's fucking yelling something. And he plays an exciting game of the floor is lava as he has to dive around <laughs> off of like broken pieces of shit to get down to where the rocket fell and hook the launcher up to it. Like right at the base of the hole. The fucking launcher did not include batteries. I hate it when that happens, <laughs> man. And uh, he has to take the batteries out of his flashlight and the demon Lord pops out and Glenn just yells, happy birthday, Al. Because maybe the birthday card was to her and not uh, him. I might have got that wrong, but I guess that's supposed to be the love, right? He's using the love and the passion. And he launches okay. the fucking rocket into the demon lord's chest. And then we see light shining from inside the demon until he explodes, launching Glenn out evil dead style into the yard. 
he's going way faster than Evil Dead. <laughs> he's spinning pretty quick. Have you ever seen the the video of FPS Russia when he should have died? And he blows up this truck with Tannerite, and the door of the truck comes flying out of the smoke right past his head. No. Terrifying video. But it reminds me of that. This kid should have been dead. He should have been, like, liquefied into the neighbor's house. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. But uh, Glenn makes it. He's not dead. And we see light shooting from out of the house. And it's just, like, pulses of it, right? And it goes into the darkness and clearing it out in time for the sun to rise. The end. Just kidding, though. It's not really the end. Uh, it's a kid's movie. We've got a fucking happy ending. I guess that's semi-happy, but it needs to be happier. It needs to be more Spielberg. It needs to be more Disney. But, but needs to have that hole in the roof fixed. <laughs> exactly. But Glenn, how they, a Frisbee ain't going to explain this. I know, right? But, but Glenn goes to the house, and he finds that the, the hole is now sealed up, and that Angus, Al, and Terry all come out of the closet alive. They all hug, go outside, and sit down. Angus runs off, finds Terry's missing shoe that he lost in the hole earlier because it's on top of the hole. Credits, for real this time. Normally, I really would bitch about such a happy ending where the <laughs> sacrifices came back to life. But let's face it, this is a kid's movie. And I, I realized that now. It was just a really terrifying kid's movie when I was a child. And that is the appropriate ending for a kid's movie, I would say. I need to know what someone was smoking to think that this was a kid's movie. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have the profanity, right, of a... I mean, they said fag, which is terrible, but in the 80s, you know, nobody gave a shit. Uh, there wasn't really any blood other than him pricking his hand. No. The, I mean, there were fucking puppets and stuff and the rubber suits for the demons. They weren't that scary. There was no on-screen kills. But it scared me. Oh, it, it scared me. you. It still scares me. And we were kids. Were we just too young? Were we supposed to be like five years older when we saw it? I'd like to get Jordan Peele's opinion on this because he was he was in that age range too. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, Jordan Peele be like, I don't fuck with demons. <laughs> Probably not. But uh, I don't know. It was a really well made movie at the time. I think it holds up really well. Still, mostly, mostly. I mean, it, it's a good movie. I mean, did you enjoy watching it, even though you hadn't seen it in fucking decades? Yeah, but I knew I remembered liking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just I always like the movies. I didn't realize this till I heard Tom Holland say it on the You're So Cool Brewster documentary. He was saying he wanted to make Charlie, you know, kind of be like just the normal horror nerd that's now got to kind of survive all this. And I don't know, it's it's a movie with a kid that's like in rockets and shit and another kid that's in like horror and metal and stuff and they have to survive these events. So it was really relatable to me as a child and oh I can still see that now. But I don't know, I'm I'm rambling here, but I mean, it was just like they were relatable characters to me as a child and yeah. the special effects still hold up. And it fucking traumatized me. So I'm going to have to say it's a good, <laughs> it's a good fucking horror movie. And from the moment that we made, you know, the list sitting in your living room before we started recording this podcast, when I wrote demons, the gate was the first thing that came to mind for me, but it wasn't the first thing that came to mind for me. Apparently the first thing that came to mind for Josh was a steaming pile of shit. Notice bad Milo from 2013. The reason why I said steaming pile of shit will be apparent here in a moment. It was, it was actually, I mean, it was the mostly enjoyable movie. I don't think I'll ever watch it again, but it was nice to finally see something I hadn't seen yet for the podcast because most of the time we're doing stuff I've seen into the ground. So this movie was adorable. Okay. This is the demons episode. And after the movie, I'll explain why out of all the things I could have stuck this in, why, why I picked the demon episode. And uh, partially I can explain now there's movies about demons that, you know, physical, tangible things. From the nether. And then sometimes there's more serious movies about the demons that we all have inside. Anus dwelling butt demons in this case. <laughs> <laughs> I 
This movie's definitely an original. I'll give it that. It is. So <laughs> it was directed by Jacob Vaughn, who nothing else of notoriety. Written by Vaughn and Benjamin Hayes. Nothing else of notoriety. <laughs> We've got uh, Ken Marino, who's been in a bunch of shit. Oh, he's fucking hilarious. Most recently that comes to mind for me is The Babysitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I need to go back and watch that movie again. Like, that's a good movie. It was such a, a, a huge, like, pleasant surprise. And that one, I mean, they were trying to, like, sacrifice to Satan, but we couldn't squeeze it in as a demon movie. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Duncan. And then we've got Jillian Jacobs who's Sarah, who's also been in a bunch of crap. And if IMDb is correct this time in the upcoming Fear Street movies. Oh, okay. Which I've read like five books in my life. And some of them were Fear Street, the cheerleader saga. Don't ask me how I ended up on that, but I'll admit it. I don't care. Benic- I went from Benicula to that. <laughs> so that should tell you how old I was. <laughs> We've also got Patrick Warburton as an asshole. <laughs> It's what he plays best. <laughs> yes. Name film. And we've got Peter Stormare as Highsmith, which I may call Dr. Highsmith later on. I use that term loosely. <laughs> Doctor. It made me think of uh, Until Dawn. Who's the psychiatrist in that? I still haven't played it. I've only played Russia oh. Blood, the, the spinoff. Fuck. He's, I didn't, I gotta play this game. <laughs> and then we've also got Steven Root again <laughs> as Roger. It's funny how the actors like start popping up in the movies. I know, right? So, in my research for this movie, there's a very long backstory about how this all came to be. And I summed it up in my notes like this. I'm assuming it had something to do with the colonoscopy. Um, well, I summed it up with this. And nope. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Other than supposedly the writers were having a conversation on the phone about working on something together. And one of them literally blurted out, we could do a movie about an anus dwelling demon. <laughs> And he was kidding. The other guy thought he was serious and they began to work on the project. This is from the commentary. So I have no idea if that's true or not. There are some neat things about it. He's a real puppet. Milo is. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. They did all his blinks or CGI, um, but the rest of it's puppeteers and black suits that they rotoscoped out. I really wish that I hadn't read that he was a real puppet with CGI blinks before I started the movie. Cause like all I was doing was watching the fucking eyeballs for the blinks the whole fucking time. <laughs> and they are clearly CGI, but I bet you couldn't even notice if you weren't like looking for it. What I want to know is other than the fact that nobody's heard of this movie is why isn't he a pop character? Ooh, he looks like one. a fucking pop character, but at any rate, <laughs> cause nobody wants a shit demon toy. He's not a shit demon. He's an anus demon. He's not made of poo. He's a part of him, but you shit him out. He, Forcibly. (laughs) Oh, it's more forcibly when he goes back home. (laughs) So we open with Duncan running from something. We have no idea what it is. He makes it into a house and tells Sarah to get in the basement. The door explodes. Duncan screams and the camera goes down his throat for an opening credit. And we're going down his throat and through his intestines as the opening credits go. And eventually we get to 123 hours earlier. (laughs) Okay. And it's going to, I'm going to describe this movie like it's a trauma movie, but to anybody who hasn't seen this, it's not. It's like, it, it could have been though. It, the idea could have been, but this tries to be so grounded as just a horror comedy, but it's, we'll get to that at the end. So as we go back the 123 hours, we get to Duncan getting an ultrasound. You got a thing in your butt. Okay. And the doctor tells him it's a polyp caused by poor stress management. 
He sets him up with a hypnotherapist and tells him to keep the stress down. So we cut to Duncan's office where he gets told that he needs to start <laughs> doing the layoffs. No stress, right? And uh, he gets moved into his new office. This is a bathroom. It was a bathroom and now it is an office for two. Hey there, QB. And uh, this dude in his office, his QB, Alistair, <laughs> is annoying as hell. <laughs> Luckily, we don't have to put up with his ass for long. We don't. But he's like, hey, you think these toilets are still functional? <laughs> That's funny later, though, that comes back up. Yes, it does. <laughs> so after having this stressful last day, Duncan decides to go ahead to Dr. Highsmith and see what this hypnotherapist shit's all about. And he refuses to go under hypnosis. And of course, Dr. Highsmith is Peter Stormare, who's his characters. He is a great character actor. Oh, yeah. And this one's a miss. I always think of him from uh, Bad Boys. I'm with you guys. I always think of him from... Uh, Armageddon. Everything. I mean, Russian parts, American parts, all made in Taiwan. (laughs) (laughs) This is how we fix things on Russian space station. (laughs) He's fucking fantastic. I love him. I liked him in this. I mean, it was not his best character work. Yeah. But I don't think they gave him a whole lot to go with. They didn't. But like just just a feather in an office. (laughs) His appearance and like just some of the shit he says. I mean, who else could deliver the line about the anus demon that he delivers? I'll give you that. But uh, Duncan doesn't want to go under, so he bails. So we're on to dinner with mom and her much younger boyfriend, who makes it very clear that they bang a lot. And you can't get pregnant the way they do it. (laughs) Yes, that joke is in there. (laughs) I about died when he said that. But uh, if, if this conversation at dinner, or if this conversation isn't making dinner bad enough, a special guest arrives. The fertility doctor that mom invited. <laughs> Forget about that. Because she wants grandkids. And uh, the doctor, of course, is like, you having some trouble getting it up? You know, like, we go straight <laughs> to that. And luckily, well, unluckily, Duncan gets a phone call from work. And it's Alistair. And uh, he wants to let him know two things. One, the toilets in the office do not work. <laughs> You can hear him overflowing in the background and shit. And two, that he was on Duncan's computer and deleted something called board of directors presentation, which was very apparent earlier when he was getting his promotion to be the head of firing that he's like, but I got to work on this board of, you know, uh, director's presentation. And who doesn't have a backup? Their office is a bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would have had that shit on a, a USB stick on my key ring or Google drive or something. Well, there's rabid raccoons on the loose, too. Maybe they ate it. So Duncan rushes home after this dinner straight to the toilet. Because while all this is going on, his stomach's cramping. We hear the gurgles. This is a common thing throughout the movie whenever he's in a stressful situation. What is 20-minute dumps that his wife complains about? That, too. And this I got is, that beat. This was the point in the movie when my wife said, look, it's Josh. <laughs> and uh, Actually, I think she says 90-minute dumps, doesn't she? Maybe I get made fun of for 20 minute dumps. <laughs> yeah. See? Apparently 90 minutes. That's the threshold. I think that's all. Oh, whoa. When they're at the doctor's office in the beginning, yeah, 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 it's yeah. like 90 minutes. He's like, whoa, whoa, we got to talk about this. He's like, no, no, throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, he takes a shit that takes so much out of him. He actually blacks out and falls into the floor. I hate it when that happens. We hear something come out of him and scurry in front of the camera and we don't really see it, but we see what I call Milo vision. <laughs> <laughs> tearing ass through the town and heads to his office up into the bathroom office and attacks Alistair and CGI blood is strewn everywhere, including on their pet mice. 
I don't understand why they took the time to make a practical puppet and then did the worst CGI blood I've ever seen in my life for the blood splatter. I don't. Well, it's like the Final Cut Pro trial edition. <laughs> I mean, they didn't spend any money. <laughs> it looks like they went straight in Adobe After Effects. <laughs> yes. Made the blood layer and just stuck it on there. And then didn't do any color filtering yeah, it's to not, blend it. It's not lit. It doesn't go around corners. It's just there. It looks like if Josh uh, and I made it. We could do better. I'm going to hold that thought. I would have used real fake blood. Yes. I mean, look, anyways. They were in a fucking bathroom with tiles. It's not like they couldn't just like bleach clean? it off or anything. So the next morning, we see on the news that Alistair was killed by a raccoon. <laughs> I love the running raccoon joke throughout the movie. And that the company is under uh, SEC investigation for fraud. Foreshadowing. So, back at work, Phil tells Duncan that it's time for him to start firing people. So clean and quick, and then I'll send in the next guy. And if he doesn't break out an AK-47, we all win. So is he basically the Bobs now? Yeah, but he's not as cool as the Bobs. But uh, this is followed by a firing montage. <laughs> and they give parting gifts. And he fires the Indian guy who he doesn't know his name. And he gives him a rabbit's foot. <laughs> so on to the polyp removal. Which this pisses me off because the way they play this scene out, it never gets revisited. But whatever. So Duncan's up on the table, unconscious, fucking butt to the sky and everything. And the doctor's got the, the butt scope endoscopy. Is that... The right, yeah, right yeah. term here. And uh Ascope. Okay, there we go. Technic real technical. <laughs> and the camera rig wraps around the back of his neck. This is going to be important shortly. <laughs> Cause he's searching around and he can't find anything. He's like, I'm sure I'm in the right area. I'm knocking. Nobody's home. <laughs> and he keeps shoving the scope deeper and deeper. And till, the sound effects in the background. <laughs> oh my god. Till finally he finds teeth gnash and snap at the camera. All of a sudden the camera's yanked into the butt. Doctor goes face first into Duncan's ass cheeks. He starts screaming and stands back up with no face. <laughs> <laughs> Two things though, I want to say. One, when I saw the teeth in the ass, this was like some Japanese anime, like <laughs> Wicked City tentacle vagina stuff that just happened right and then two, to go back to what you said about like you're angry that they didn't revisit it, I personally feel that somewhere the movie was taken a different direction and that actually happened at some point and they decided not to go that way in the movie and already had the footage and made it a dream sequence. Okay. Like that's my, I mean, I have nothing to support that, <laughs> but it's so fucking out of place that well, I just feel like that. Why couldn't it just have been another raccoon attack and Duncan wouldn't know because he was unconscious, but then he'd wake up with cops there and shit. So I guess a dream sequence makes the most sense, but I agree with you. I think it was going to be another raccoon attack and maybe somebody's like, how the fuck are we going to write the rest of this? Frisbee. Frisbee. <laughs> so of course... As we alluded to, Duncan wakes up. So it must have been a dream. So Duncan freaks out and he's like, fuck it. I guess I'll go get hypnotized. So Duncan goes back to Dr. Highsmith and he puts him under. And while he's under, he reveals that his dad left him when he was eight and that Sarah really wants a family, but he's scared he won't be a good dad. Do we not learn from Get Out that hypnotism <laughs> is terrible and to not do it? Well, Dr. Highsmith is not a gilf, so it's safe. <laughs> he's, he's super laid back about it. And he's got that bark. abandonment issues. <laughs> I forgot about the fucking parrot. The parrot's so good. <laughs> that was a good shtick to have in there. Yes. 
But uh, while he's telling, you know, these inner secrets while he's under and everything, his stomach starts to cramp. And he ends up falling on the floor screaming. And we finally get a full Milo reveal. I don't want to get too graphic here, but the amount of tearing involved. I know, right? <laughs> Does having an anus dwelling demon like give you supernatural? He got out of there. He'll find a way back in. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we have our full Milo reveal now, and Milo goes tearing off out a window, and Highsmith whips out this old book he's got and is like, "I've read about this." It looks like the fucking Kama Sutra book, but it's about ass demons. Oh, it is. And he explains the myth of our anus. <laughs> I mean, who else could deliver these lines besides him? So seriously, too. Because you're like, oh, oh, this isn't his best work. Maybe it is. Because <laughs> he did it with a fucking straight face. Maybe this is his fucking, he was going for the Oscar on this you one. You may be right. But, uh... <laughs> So he suspects that the creature comes out of his ass to smite his enemies because it's part of him, the dark side of him. And when it comes back, he needs to bond with it. <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous. And just when you think it can't get any more ridiculous, we cut back to the fertility doctor in an alley with a hooker. <laughs> and he's going down on her. Everything's wrong in this scene. <laughs> And she gets hers and he's like, eh, you know, I got next. Right. And she's like, oh, I don't do that. And walks know, away. That's so funny. Because <laughs> he's such a fucking douchebag. And then she's like, mm-mm. And she just leaves. And being such a supreme douchebag, he just starts going snapping, at it. Snapping one off in the fucking alley next to the dumpster. He deserves everything that's about to happen. Uh, then again, this is graphic. This isn't. Is it? Have you seen the movie Teeth? No, but I have a question. <laughs> okay. Are there multiple cuts for this movie? Because my movie had a dick in it. My movie has a dick in it, too. And it's not. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. I actually have the case here. It is not the director's cut. So I think Ooh. the regular R cut has the dick in it. We've got dicks. We've got dicks. So, of course, Milo comes charging down the alley, jumps on dude, and graphically bites and rips his dick off. This is not what a circumcision <laughs> is supposed to be like. <laughs> after his dick dinner because that's what we find out later he's going out to eat oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he comes back to dr highsmith's office yes bond with him <laughs> yes <laughs> and duncan's like talking to him and he names him milo and i gotta point out that when milo's calm he sounds like fucking Gizmo. He does. <laughs> it, it was very reminiscent to gremlins he's like i saw a meme where there's a picture of a uh E.T. and Gizmo and then uh, Milo. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly never heard of this fucking movie until you chose it. So, Oh, but see how good it sounds when you're just describing it to someone? Like, there was a lot of potential. <laughs> hey, dude, we got listeners. <laughs> Quick backstory here. Oh, shit. Josh just cough syruped out on the Jordan Peele episode, and we, we had a meeting about the next couple of episodes, right? And he starts explaining this movie about this demonic dick. <laughs> he's like, he's super fucking serious and into it. And I'm just shaking my head thinking, maybe I shouldn't let Josh pick his movies anymore. 
Maybe I'll just pick him for him. And then like two days go by and I get a text that said, oh shit, did I say bad Johnson? I meant bad Milo. That's it. That's all I had to go on. I knew nothing about this movie. And I heard him explain like the worst sounding piece <laughs> of shit I ever heard in my life. And then I'm like, oh, this can't be any better. And I saw the trailer and it, it changed me. I saw it, Ken Marino saved it for me. Yeah. And it has it mo- its moments. But now Bad Johnson is not a horror movie, but it is a movie about how a guy's dick gets its own personality and own body and causes problems. But anyways, how are you going to fit that in a demon? I got confused and thought Bad Milo was about a penis demon. I, dude, I Cody. cough syrup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyways. So after they bond, Highsmith tells him to let Milo come home. So Duncan drops his pants and Milo crawls back up in him. He's up there. It was beautiful. (laughs) The sound effects once again. So now that Duncan knows what's up his ass, he goes back to a nice relaxing day at work. He comes in to find out that one of his clients has had their entire account cleared out. Oh, yeah. Phil tells him you should pull money out of the company pension fund to cover it. He's like, isn't that illegal? And Phil's like, oh, just do it. This is your fuck up. This is what we got to do. And the subplot here with Phil is like really fucking obvious at this point. Right? Because <laughs> I didn't get it to like the third watch. So then we get more exposition via news report. <laughs> About trash pandas. Yes, that there's been another raccoon attack. And this was the fertility doctor. Dick eating trash pandas. And uh, so Duncan goes back for another session with Highsmith and Highsmith makes him use sock puppets to explain (laughs) what's going on between him and his wife. So at this point, we've already been putting together that, you know, they've been having trouble having a kid and that he's got daddy issues. And this is all fixing to kind of come to a head with sock puppets. (laughs) (laughs) So this was the sock puppets were before he went and saw his dad the first time. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. This was, this was the cause of this because he's like, okay, now, now you be you. And, and you be Sarah. <laughs> like, I made Thai food. You know, Thai food gives me gas. <laughs> like this whole yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> and it spins out of control so fast. It's like, just like my father left me. Rah, rah, rah. Right, right. Oh, oh, wait. You need to go to your father. <laughs> I just want to say that Josh is normally spot on with the impersonations. He actually sounds nothing. Oh, I'm terrible. Like on Peter one. right now. <laughs> Dude, I can't do that guy's normal voice. And like his whole. The whole Eastern European block is inside this guy's vocal cords. I am not giving him any justice in my terrible fucking accent. I'm just doing something other than my voice. So he seeks out his dad and he finds him stoned in a tent. I was really, I was mad. I figured out like at this scene. Oh yeah. The end. I was done. Like I, don't, I was like, I, I finished the movie in my head. So dad is trying to be a full blown Zen master here and he's not much help. Yeah, well, shit's fucked up right now, Dad. Shit is as fucked up as you allow it to be. Namaste. So Duncan gets the gurgles again and goes to Dad's outhouse. I just want to say his insta shit face is fucking. That, he he deserves an Academy Award. That shit's spot on. Spot on. <laughs> you ever eat ghost pepper, like actual ghost pepper? No. That's what it looks like when you have to shit afterwards. Dude, I can't even enjoy spicy fucking Popeye's chicken anymore without Ooh. getting a fucking popsicle for the starfish. Like, it hurts way too much the next day. I'm now traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, Milo comes out again. And this time he falls down into the shit water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he climbs back up and he shakes off like a dog slinging shit all over the place and all over Duncan. 
who's not going to change his clothes for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I, I love it when he goes back to work. Something smells like shit in here. Just <laughs> like, in the background. Stomach flu. <laughs> but he tells Milo, he's like, you're hungry. Don't eat my dad. I have food at the office. Just get back in me and I'll take you to the office. Yeah. He doesn't have food at the office. So they go to the office and you're right. He's going through fucking like there's empty wrappers in the trash can and shit. He's got nothing. And he looks over at the pet mice <laughs> and he grabs one of the mouse mice, meese, meeses, feces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So he takes this mouse. <laughs> and he's in the process of shoving it up his ass. He's like, come get it. <laughs> come here, Milo. <laughs> come get it. I mean, you can only hear that Richard Gere gerbil story so many times before you have to start believing it. But just as this happens, one of the ladies from the office bursts in. She's like, what are you doing? He's <laughs> trying to shove a mouse on his ass, man. <laughs> like, there's feds out here. You need to get out here. <laughs> like, what? And uh, he comes out and all your computers have been seized. We are the FBI. We will fuck you with a long dick of the law. Like, all this is going on. <laughs> Have you been audited by the government before, Josh? <laughs> yeah, it's much worse than how I'm describing it. So Duncan runs down Phil, who's like trying to escape in a freight elevator. And uh, <laughs> it's like, Phil, what are you doing? What about all these people? And he's like, you actually invested here? You fucking dumbass. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and uh, he's like, come on, Duncan, you're too nice. You're a pussy. <laughs> Pussies don't make it in this world or something like that. So Duncan releases Milo. <laughs> Fuck you, Phil. So Duncan, after a very stressful day at work, goes back for a nice quiet dinner. The look on Ken Marino's face, like that he knows he just murdered a guy. Because the other times he was knocked out. Yeah, he didn't know. A demon. He purposely did it. And like when you see how distraught and fucking torn he is like on his face, he, he knows he's done fucked up. Yeah. Well, and, and Milo's like, chicken. He doesn't say chicken, but he's just munching down on his face. So after all this, very stressful day at work. Duncan yeah, decides. I mean, anytime I release a Golgoth and shit demon <laughs> to eat my boss at work, I'm totally fucking stressed out when I go home. And for anyone who hasn't seen this movie and doesn't plan on, on watching this, like Milo's head's like the size of a small basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he goes home to dinner with his wife, Sarah. He goes in and she immediately unloads less stress on him. She's preggers. Oh, yeah. So Duncan like freaks out hardcore and he's like, it's not safe for you to be around me now and bails out to a hotel. That was my confirmation on my theory about his dad. Like right there, I was like, done. Yep. So this quickly spins into attempting to feed Milo montage. (laughs) So he's like trying to give him the tuna, trying to give him the tuna without the water, tries to give him a shoe, tries to give him the tuna with ketchup on it. (laughs) I thought it was cat food. It was the tuna. Oh, it may have been cat food. They look and smell the same to me. I hate tuna. So Sarah ends up leaving Duncan a voicemail saying that if he wants to talk to her, that she's going to be at his mom's party. So Duncan's finally had enough of being in hiding with Milo and he calls his dad and convinces him to do a session with him and Highsmith. So they go. And of course the session immediately gets heated and both their stomachs start to cramp and both of them fall to the floor. And then both of them, surprise, surprise have butt demons. Dad's butt demon, Ralph. He looks like fucking Emperor Sheev Palpatine from fucking Star Wars. I'm waiting on your unlimited power and start shooting lightning, but he doesn't do it. No, this thing, like, this thing is the epitome of that farts dust. (laughs) 
Oh, the years have not been kind to Ralph. <laughs> have not. And so Ralph and Milo throw down, which leads to Milo stabbing the bejesus out of Ralph and then taking off. And his dad collapses and starts to fade. He apologizes to Duncan for everything. Now, earlier when, uh, <laughs> when Highsmith had his really cool The Story of Our Anus book, <laughs> he was talking about, like, you can't kill it. Like, this is a part of you. And if you were to ever to destroy it, that it would be like giving yourself a lobotomy. You would actually lose a part of you. You would become like a zombie. So we're now back to the opening scene of Duncan running, trying to get somewhere with Milo chasing him, which is really fucked up because Milo gets out of there first. And so it's a part of him. So he knows that Sarah's at the party. He just assumes that's what he's going to go after because it's whoever he's quote unquote mad at at the time. And he wasn't actually mad at Sarah. He just wanted to get away from her for safety reasons. It was a jealousy thing. So, cause no, no, it's a hundred percent what it is, what it is. Cause he says something about her being pregnant and then Milo's like got a light bulb over his head basically. And he's like, no, 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 you can't do this. So it's purely cause he, you know, they had the, you didn't really go into it, but when they're at the hotel, like outside of the feeding, like they're cuddling at night and he's playing with them and it's his son. Milo's basically what made him prepared to be a dad, but he realizes he's about to be replaced by a baby and and him having an actual son. So he's like, I got to nip this in the bud. I didn't even connect those dots, and that makes a whole lot more sense than the wormhole I went down with just the scared father and butt sex. It figures. (laughs) So Milo, now angry that he's going to be replaced by a human baby, must be after Sarah. I'm glad I was able to fix the movie for you. (laughs) I'm glad you did, too, because I was about to say, why the fuck did he want to go there? Anyways, all makes sense now. So we get the opening scene of the movie with Duncan inside the door telling Sarah to get in the basement and Milo bursts through the door. Mom's out back with her dinner guests, tells everyone to get away from the house. (laughs) There's tiki torches in the backyard conveniently. Honestly, this is the dumbest fucking part of the movie. Like the any scene with the mom, like everybody get your torches and stuff like what? They just ran out of ideas at this point. They did. Um, except for the death scene and all that. That's I'm I'm down yeah. with that. So Sarah heads down to the sex dungeon and uh like full on. Yeah, but she doesn't know that's what it is at first. No. She, she's in the dark and she runs into something you hear chains and she turns the lights on. There's like a fucking sex swing, which falls down way too easy. Yeah. So Milo and Duncan start throwing down in the kitchen and uh, Duncan's like, but Sarah's not even here. And Milo picks up her purse. And is like, <laughs> <laughs> and she's like through the door. She's like, is everything okay out there? <laughs> yes. And so Milo, of course, bursts through the basement door and go, no, he dives into the fucking garbage <laughs> <I> disposal. <laughs> How did he know there was going to, well, he knows what Duncan knows. Fuck it. So he dives into the sink. I'm going to take you a step back here. <laughs> Do you know exactly how the pipes and plumbing in your house connect and where they come out? Because I don't. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't matter what the fuck Duncan knows. But how does how does uh, Milo know there's a sink down there? That's what uh, I'm getting I at. I gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But, of course, he comes out of the sink that's in the basement. <laughs> Sarah starts throwing dildos at him <laughs> while Duncan goes and grabs an axe. And Duncan comes back to the basement door that I guess locks from the inside now because he's got to fucking axe it down to get into the basement. It's a very poor design. I guess they just wanted a shining scene in all seriousness. It's exactly what I thought right there. And uh, just as Milo goes to eat the baby out of Sarah's stomach, Duncan bursts in and Sarah and Milo quickly end up running into the backyard. This is your 
your favorite scene with the torches. Oh. Everyone point your torches. Kill it with fire. Put it in the face. <laughs> Both of them. It's terrible. I'll give you that. Um, but Duncan runs into the backyard with his axe and fucking chops off Milo's legs and one of his arms. And then Milo calms down and Duncan realizing what he's done takes pity on Milo. Cause he really does. He's, he goes back to cute Milo. He's pitiful. He's like, dude, seriously, <laughs> look what you've done to me. And, um, Duncan picks him up. Oh, wow. I fucked you up. <laughs> and then mom gives the reveal, the real obvious reveal. It's like, Oh, I, I knew all this all along. I just hoped it would end with your father. <laughs> Wait, you knew. <laughs> And uh, Sarah, Duncan, and Milo go into the house, and uh, and Duncan tells his mom, "It's like I'm fixing to go use your bathroom, and I'm not going to clean it." <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not cleaning it up afterwards. And uh, Sarah helps send Milo home. That means up to the butt. Um, and we have a closing monologue from Duncan that, as it's intercut with a lot of things, so we see one that this is the speech that he's giving at his new consulting firm about family struggles with demons, and that. And and we see that everybody's moved on. She's now fully pregnant and they've moved into a house and there's this party going and even zombie dad's there. And zombie dad starts staring down the belly of Sarah and we quickly get this zoom in into the belly through the guts and find out it must be a boy because there's another ass demon inside her. The end. I can't believe that's something we just talked about on the podcast. <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing. It sounds like it would be a trauma movie, but it's not insane enough to be a trauma movie. It is done more seriously than a trauma movie. I'll give you that. It is. It's got a lot of heart, or at least it tried to. It's not horrific enough to be a horror comedy. It's not comedic enough to be a comedy horror. It's in this weird limbo of where it doesn't really know what it wants to be, but it has butt stuff in it, and <laughs> I wanted to talk about it. I, I definitely get more of the horror comedy vibe from it, and I will say, Ken Marino's character, when you could tell this was all stemming from being a, afraid to be a father, was very relatable to me. Like they did a really good job of making that like relatable when you're expecting your first child. So the fact that they were able to get that serious of a message into this. Dumb. I mean, I don't mean it in a bad way, but I mean, like the plot, just like, just like a dumb, this dumb of a movie was really neat that they were able to, to squeeze that in there and it not feel like shoehorned. There was a lot of squeezing and shoehorning in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and maybe subconsciously, you know, we've been trying to get pregnant and right. it hasn't been going well. And no, I don't need an ED doctor. Um, <laughs> you send me one, he's going to get his dick bitten off in an alley. And, uh, I, you No. <laughs> By Jasper. <laughs> My butt demon's name is Jasper. But I'm terrified of it. And that's the right. thing. I'm not terrified of having to put away my toys. I'm not terrified of having to grow up. I'm terrified of being responsible for another human being. That's. This is real life horror. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though. I mean, there's a lot of fear that comes with when you're given that announcement. And I'm sure for both parties, but I only experienced it from the man side. And uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, it is very relatable. And interesting that they were able to make a horror movie about a butt demon off of a very real life thing that happened. So yeah. that was the coolest part to me about the movie. Yeah. So it's got, it's not without its flaws. It's not one of those is not on heavy rotation. I don't watch it every year. Um, I just think that there's some neat things played with there and is oddball as it is. Where's the most oddball place I could stick it in the podcast demons. 
and I don't know, it was really cool to get back to like one of the like root horror films, if you will. Like, you know, we've done vampires and, and werewolves and stuff. So it was nice to go into to demons or something like that's just really weird with the choices of <laughs> films we made going back to that. But it was a lot of fun. But that's going to be it for our first episode on demon films, because you're going to have to tune in on the next episode when we cover more demon films. I am going to eat your soul and shit it out. For you guys, it'll be two weeks. But for Josh and I, we're going to be recording it in like the next 15 minutes. What? Josh and I would really like to thank you guys for downloading the show because we've now broke 5,000 downloads. Yes, we did. We actually were just like just a few away before the Jordan Peele episode, so we've now blown past that, but we promised a second dancing video. You guys can keep an eye on our Instagram to see that one pop up. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online, and please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love it, as always, if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram at SBIS Podcast. This might motivate us to use it more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. This thing is a part of you. Kill it. Be just like giving yourself a lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs>